Hello and welcome to this podcast series in which we explore the other ethnic identities in London, especially within the equality and diversity monitoring forms and the national statistics. Over the following 10 episodes, we will create a space for immigrants and members of the other ethnic groups to share our voices, developing a sense of community and belonging. My name is JC Candanido. And I'm Sanya Abdurrahman. And, and this, this is, is the, the other checkbox. Hello everyone and welcome back to another new episode of The Other Checkbox, a podcast that was born from our continuous conversation and debates on identity and feeling represented or belonging, where we will be interviewing individuals to share their stories, insights and experience, and together we will explore the other ethnic identities in London. In today's episode, we'll be discussing working class and identity. Our guests today are Lisa Svanix, a working class award-winning entrepreneur and the founder of Social Arc an East London charity that helps young people use their own lived experience to start their own project. We're also joined by Moses Adeyemi, an award-winning entrepreneur who founded the specialist well-being program Silverline Project. He's currently working on a new venture, Flake First LTD, launched in 2020 and bringing a fresh perspective to the world of e-commerce. Thank you so much, uh, Lisa and Moses, for joining us today. May you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your identity. Why don't you go first, Lisa? Okay. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having us. I'm Lisa Stepanovich. I'm from East London. Um, identifying myself, I'd say I'm a working class social entrepreneur. Um, yeah, of Eastern European heritage mixed with Irish. Um, born in, in a, as a Cockney, so a real East Londoner. So I'm a, a combination of all those things. Um, great. Uh, firstly, thank you for the introduction. Love that. Um, so yeah, as you said, my name is Moses Adeyemi, also from East London, but I was born and grew the first nine years of my life in Africa, Nigeria. Um, I partly identify within a working class background, but that's up for debate. So hopefully we're going to touch on that, touch on that today. And yes, I'm excited to be part of this um, podcast and I hope I can kind of motivate and inspire someone that's listening. Great. Thank you so much for giving us a little bit more about um, your backgrounds and your ethnicities and where you grew up. Um, so as we mentioned, a part of why we started this project is to kind of look a little bit deeper into the diversity and inclusion form and find out how has this been helpful, what is the other communities in London, etc. So I want to ask you both, do you ever feel represented in a diversity and inclusion form? Or just do you even feel represented in your own industry as a creative and social entrepreneur? Um, maybe we'll start with Moses this time. Um, do you know, I don't think I've ever actually taken it in. Um, so by that, do you mean when it's like, you know, like Black British, Black African? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, do you know what? It's, it's a real tricky one because I know what box I tick, which I do tick Black British. But if you ask me what does Black British mean or Black African or the difference between Black British and Black African, I don't, I don't quite know the difference, but I, sometimes I take Black British, sometimes I take Black African, depending on what comes up. So it would be interesting to find out what the public, you know, why, why, they, why there's sometimes two options and why there's sometimes one. So which mm. one am I, you know? So, um, yeah. Hmm. You want what about you? Me now. Me now. Um, yeah, it is a tricky one. So I don't feel represented. I think that the boxes that are there, I don't feel like I fit in a box. Um, yeah, I, I identify as white British because I was born in England. Um, 
but I've got a huge, a huge part of me is from my roots, where I come from, from like my family and backgrounds, and and that's Eastern European and Irish. I identify more uh, with with my father's background than I do my mum's, um, and I, I feel that that makes up quite a bit of my identity. I don't feel represented, and yeah, it. it I think that particular yeah box putting people in boxes um yeah i think it's quite tricky and i think it's difficult yeah just we've heard you, this oh sorry moses no i was just gonna ask Lisa, what box would you say you tick now then i tick the other box right and then i give them a little bit of a lecture absolutely um because i've i've i think i meet a few of those boxes yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for that. And, and we've heard from other people who have taken part in the survey that they have similar experiences to actually both of you. Some people are questioning what does it mean to be black or African-American or, or black African or black British? What is the difference between those concepts? And also a lot of people who were born in Britain, but who come from immigrant families who don't know where to take because of, you know, how, how what does white even mean? Um, so I wanted to ask you, Lisa, um, taken from what you were saying, how do you think that this lack of representation impacts your life? Well, I think originally that like when I first was um, getting into the sector, like the social entrepreneur sector, I think it would have impacted me um, quite a lot. I feel the need, we, you know, um, organizations have got diversity quotas and stuff like that. Um, and it can impact, um, as a, personally, I, like, like what Moses said, never really thought about it, just tick it, get on with it, it's a part of life. But when it comes to your business, it's it makes you think that that bit deeper and it it can impact uh your life you you know if you tick a box of white british because there's no other there's there's not an other that you can write a sentence in you know you're potentially um not not being able to enter the work you want to do and stuff like that so yeah i think it can be it can be quite tough and it it, it doesn't sort of yeah i don't think they've got it right to be honest Hmm. I agree. How about you, Moses? What is your experience? You know, as, as Lisa was speaking, I was just thinking of some of my pre previous experiences and it's a bit of a, I don't know, it's, it's, it, it appears confusing, so I'm kind of struggling to find how to articulate myself. But uh, let's say, you know, I have, I'm not sure if you're aware, but, you know, I did have a criminal background a couple of years back. And um, I think previously to being, um, you know, going to custody, I felt a very... Um, I could feel I, I could feel by the way I was treated from you know from the police that I was a black guy. Do you know what I mean? It was it was mm -hmm. very very felt. Do you know what I'm saying? But then on the other side, once I was in prison, and yeah, once I was like I said in custody, I felt like the treatments wasn't as segregated. It wasn't as marginalized in there. I felt like criminals are treated like from my personal experience. It was like okay, I was equally treated the same way with the, you know, with the white guy, with the Asian, with the whatever, but me, not meaning anyone got treated good, but everybody equally got treated bad. But then, you know, when you look at authority, it's like, look, it was an authoritative figure that put me in prison. I felt a difference in how I was treated, but now I'm in this place, regardless of my offense, now I'm getting treated equally with white, blacks, Asians, and whatever, like, obviously, like I said, bad treatments, but equally bad. So I, I just thought, you know why is why is it different why is it different at whatever stage i am in my i don't know if i, I don't know if I can call it punishment but 
why is there different treatments? But then when I came out and I was a whole better person, a whole law-abiding citizen, now that I'm, you know, I don't have any interaction with the law at all, now I'm in the social entrepreneur world, I'm still feeling it. I'm still feeling, despite how good my work is, and despite how good I present my talents and whatnot, someone else with, from a different background will get shortlisted before me. And it's, a, it's really, really frustrating. And it's like, you know, I don't want to allow an application, but I know my application will be stronger if I had a different surname. You know, that's not that's not a good feeling. And, you know, there's the elements of when you're doing social entrepreneurship, you need to be authentic to yourself. And it's very hard to be authentic to yourself when you know that authentic self might come at a disadvantage. So, and it's a case of learning how to write like your counterparts, learning how to speak. As people say, learning how to speak their language, learning how to, do you know what I mean? And I just feel it is, it's something that we're unconscious learn but what we're learning is not how to be ourselves in an application form what we're learning is how to write in a way that our counterparts will understand and that you know that's I don't know what, what we're gonna call that do you know what I mean but yeah that's that's my personal experiences thank you Moses for this like for sharing first your lived experience with us in here today and going really deep in that that's actually making me think a little bit then about your sense of belonging and the sense of a community. Do you think your ethnic identity affects your sense of uh, belonging in the community? And if, do you, if there is a community that you can actually call yours, because from what you're saying, outside is different than inside and maybe moving from various communities. And what does community even mean to you? Um, following from that, I think, you know, when we, when we have the conversation, I feel like the conversation is bigger than, you know, you know, this is a great place to start the conversation, but I think it's bigger than that. And I feel like it needs to be like a global conversation because mm -hmm. there's just so much wrong and it's really hard to, I, I, I don't identify myself in that. Yes, I'm a black guy and, you know, yeah, I'm in a black community, but I'm, I work in logistics. One thing I get so much from my, from black people and white people is because like I said logistics is very you know you have to be very organized one of the comments I get from both races is what well, all the races is you know I hope it's not black people time hate that do you get what I'm trying to say so mm. it's like you know and you get that from black people white people Asians and whatever and it's just don't judge me because of the color of my skin you think I might be late with your deliveries so do you know what I mean? It's just really hard to put yourself in a box. I feel like with me, especially doing what I do in, in terms of social entrepreneurship, you have to subconsciously put yourself in your own lane. Um, I want to be better than all the races. I want to be better than everybody. That's the, you know, whatever you guys are doing is great. I want to set my own community, my own standards and be the best I can be. And whatever that falls into you, then that's great. Because I don't want to be very punctual and people then say, oh, well, you're not really like doing black people time because what are you, are you taking me out of that now? Am I no longer like, you know, do you, do you know what I'm trying to say? So it's like, I don't want to like, I, I don't want to be isolated from any community, but equal, I don't feel like I fit in in any community. I feel like I'm, I'm focused in delivering a good service and being the best mm. version of myself and whatever that falls in, that's what that falls in. Thank you, Moses. And I actually want to ask the same question to Lisa because I know, I see you, Lisa, as a community leader, and you are very much respected in the Tower Hamlet community. So from your own experience and perspective, how does your ethnic identities affect your sense of community as well? Um, thanks, Sandy. And you know what I just want to say, Flick First is a sick delivery service. 
personal on time on point so just yeah just before we go into the next bit um and i'm speaking from experience uh, how, when we talk about how do, how do i fit in ethnically um that, that's quite quite a tough question when you think about that because i I've, I'm embedded in the community, right? White working class woman embedded in the community. And it's only when people get to know me that they get to know that I probably shared like quite a few of the lived experiences that they have shared. Like we might have different color skins. We might, you know, we might be um, from different parts of the world, but I think um, being working class, it's, it's, it's that, you know, that nod between people, you know, when you know your own people and it is that kind of, you know, you, you get it. Oh, there doesn't have to be a conversation. Like Moses and I look at totally different people, obviously, right? But we just know because we're embedded in it. And it's that kind of community culture um, that's needed. Sometimes that when I meet new people, it's quite tough because I think um, automatically that, uh, they might, they might, uh, white people from different backgrounds might automatically think that I'm really the same as them, and they haven't experienced many of the things that I've experienced. So it's uh, it's definitely a working class thing, um, and a lot of people think, oh look at her, I've got the accent, and then when I tell them my real name is Yadviga Lisa, and they're like, what? What is that? What? That's Lisa's not your real name? I was like, no, I've got my the name my father gave me, and that's on my birth certificate. And, you know, I'm Yadviga, but, you know, back in the day, it was, it was my, no, she can't have a Polish name. She'll never get anywhere in life with that name. Let's just call her Lisa. Um, and it went from that. But I think that kind of identity and where do you fit in and your sense, I think there is a community I call my own. And that's, that's people from the working class community. And, and I don't care what color skin they are or, or, where you know, or their original, their origins, or their roots. But if they're ex, um, if they're from the working class community and they're embedded in it and they want to support each other, I, yeah, that's I see that as my community. And I know we have got different skin colours, and I know that is um, yeah relevant. I don't know if I've answered your question, but <laughs> I have tried. No, yeah, actually, it's, it's interesting because I was going to go into a little bit later about like if you both consider working class um, as an identity. And I think Lisa, you really went deep into that of the working class being a community and therefore like in itself, it can be an identity. And I wanna actually ask Moses that because I know Lisa, you kind of touched on that. But when we were talking, you were saying I'm from working class background. But again, the working class, it doesn't have to be how, how you look at it. So from your own perspective, um, do you consider working class as an identity? And do you consider it as part of your identity? I think, I think, um, so previous to this, um, to this uh, podcast, I did kind of research working class and the true definition or the, you know, the dictionary definition of it. And, um, you know, I'm, I think people would naturally assume or put me in a working class back um, box, should we say. And, you know, if that's what it is, that's what it is. But when I read the definition of the social group consisting of primary, um, primarily of people who are employed in unskilled or semi-skilled manual, uh, all of that, that doesn't sound like me. I don't, I don't feel like that. I don't feel mm -hmm. like, I've never, me personally, I've never had a job. I've never, um, when I, that sounds crazy. 
I mean, I've always been self-employed. <laughs> I've always, always, always been self-employed. I've never been employed by anyone. No one's ever asked for my NI to put me on the, t- like, do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I'm my working class. Well, I'm not employed by anyone. Do you know what I mean? I've, I've been contracted. I've had loads of contracts, but I've always been self-employed and I've always had to pay my own taxes. So therefore, I'm my working class by definition. Do you know what I mean? Um, so, you know, you know, like, I don't know, like, Technically, I am, I guess, but not offic- not officially, you know. Um, and when it goes skilled, I feel like there's a lot of people that would be labelled. For example, Lisa, you say you're in a working class background, but I think you're very, very skilled. I feel like what you do requires a lot of talent. Well, let, 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 me, use, let me use the word they use in terms of being very, very skilled. Um, you, you know, so, you know what I mean? Maybe I'm looking too much into it. <laughs> I yeah. haven't read that definition. I think if I had read it, I might have been challenged. Um, yeah, exactly. I think, it's, I think it's our perception, Moses, of what's exactly. Yeah. It's interpretation of it, not not the dictionary term. Um, I haven't. You know, you're you're good. You looked it up, right? I'm going to do that. After. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's it's our personal interpretation. Is what is the working class? You know. What is that and what's that made up? Because I, I think there are people from working class backgrounds that are homeowners and, you know, exactly. that are doing great things and, you know, setting up businesses and super talented. I think to, to yeah, it needs another look at it, putting mm-hmm. people down yeah. as low skilled. And I, I don't like that term low skilled either. And that's exactly but, what it's yeah. I mean, if I was earning, you know, I don't know, working, I don't want to stereotype any organisation, but let's say I was with a big oil organization I'm earning 150k a year and whatnot do I am I still working class would that just because I'm employed by someone so does working class mean you know when you hear working like it means that you know like at the bottom of the barrel kind of thing like do you know what I mean it's I don't I don't fit that but if working class can also mean yes you're on 150k a year and you're you know just below the CEO and I'm still employed by Shell so that do you know what I mean so I feel like that the the definition of working class needs to be relooked before I can say, yep, yeah, I'm working class, because that definition right now, it's not me. I think historically, the definition of working class have really changed. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I was having a conversation with my sister about who defined as working class, and she was like, well, in the olden days, it's like, if you go to university, you automatically are not working class anymore because you're on higher education. Oh, and wow. I was looking, yeah. So like, if you can look like everyone who might still be living in state housing, they might be still maybe even benefit, but if they kind of graduate from university, then automatically the system used to put them as like, well, you're not working class because you did higher education. So like Lisa have mentioned, it's our own perspective on what working class is, is our own perspective of um, what how we identify ourselves in that class and how we kind of are part of that community class. Because you you know, we, we I personally know people who, are from working class background who are doing jobs and like even education but themselves are identified as working class because of the journey to get there of the suffering that they still have to go of the discrimination that they might have to be gone through as well mm. i so find maybe... this uh, fascinating sandy that you, you touched on that as well because there is the historical socio-economical definition of what working class means and then there's the identity bit and usually that could mean because that's a community that you surround yourself with, that's your background, those are the neighborhoods where you live and that's how you see yourself or other people see you. And this ties in perfectly with what Lisa was saying before about 
her taking, for instance, sometimes um, white British, even if she comes from an immigrant background, uh, well, she would have to take white other instead of white British. So it's sort of like the same concept. And, and I wanted to touch back on that, Lisa, if you don't mind, and ask you, do you think that um, by doing this ticking exercise where sometimes we don't know where to take, are these forms even useful? I think, that, I think that there's a lot of work to be done in that area. And when I see these diversity forms, if there is not an option for me to write a sentence, I don't tick anything. I just refuse to answer it um, because I won't pander to, to organizations or checklists that, that, that want to, I think they can be quite divisive, right? I think that um, when we sign these forms, um, I think they can be quite dangerous and divisive. I think that the organizations need to be a lot more progressive in their faults, especially looking at how diverse our communities are now. We've never had so many different ethnicities like in the UK. And it's just really, I think it's insensitive and I think it's divisive. And yeah, I think, you know, we've got a, a, a really, uh, large Latino uh, community now where uh, we're not seeing those those boxes mm -hmm. there we're not seeing those mixes there um you know with the lgbtq community there's lots of stuff there's lots of um different backgrounds you know that people feel that they fit in and i i think i think it's not helpful and i think it's divisive um, there's a lot more work that needs to be done and they really do need to think it through. I know with funding applications, um, they're trying to meet diversity quotas, um, and which is rightfully so. People have been locked out, traditionally locked out of funding, and they want to make sure that funding is going to, to the right people and the right organisations. But, you know, to I think you need to bring in, um, you know, socioeconomic backgrounds and wealth into that because you could get somebody from the diversity group they're looking to fund but actually they might be from a really well-off background right um and if if an organization is looking to fund real disadvantaged and real community building and they're going to fund somebody just because they've managed to tick a, a diversity race box and maybe somebody on the on the other side really from a low socioeconomic background really doing work grassroots work in disadvantaged communities but because they haven't been able to find a box or an explanation of that they're ticking a box and they're missing out on opportunities. And really then society as a whole is missing out on the great work that that person can do. So I think there's so much work that needs to be done around that. I think, I think it can be quite divisive and dangerous. Like for me, it's, for me, it's the time that um, like the upper classes and actually they're pitting the, the working class are being pitted against each other um people are thinking oh this one's getting an opportunity that i'm not when actually the people in positions of power are really just taking control and and laughing at us <laughs> laughing at the, the, the poorer working class communities look at them silly sods they're all arguing with each other when we're running things I think we need to take more control and a, a stronger look at really what equity and equality really mean. Do you guys see that intersection between um, social class and ethnicity? Social class and ethnicity, I'd say they go hand in hand. But like I said earlier, that, that you know, organisations set up um, for specific groups. And I feel that 
I feel that while sometimes that is really needed, so when we talk about um, uh, young black boys getting stopped by the police more than their counterparts, white counterparts, right? That is an absolute fact. It happens and it's needed that, that an intervention might needed to support that. Um, when we're talking about uh, other groups setting up, um, I spoke to a young lady who wanted to set up a, a like a platform celebrating Afro, Afro hair, Afro hair that's, and, and people getting discriminated through having Afro hair. Absolutely, that's a fact, it's happening. But actually when we're talking about going into diverse communities, like funny enough, I had a conversation this morning with somebody that is doing like an outreach project, right? And uh, they're really inspiring uh, disadvantage youth they called it disadvantage I said I said maybe change that language a little bit for for brilliant young people in under-resourced communities right um so, so thinking about that but actually to um reach everyone in that community because if you're going into a school and all the school is is in a in a disadvantaged area you know someone the highest deprivation rates in east london and they are um, maybe they're majority ethnic but if you've got a few white kids in there they are still part of that community they're still embedded on the same council estates they're still in that place and if you're going to deliver a service for young people from those backgrounds it needs to speak to all of them that's in that room, it does need to speak. If you wanna go into schools and you wanna do deliver something um, to the students, it needs to speak to all the students or you need to pull out the students that you want to address um, and not have the others there because it's no good going in and there's kids there and you're saying, this is specially for um, local young people but then you're saying it's uh, ethnically separated, divisive. So I think it's, it's, it's quite, it's really sensitive. I get why people do do um, different projects, but it needs to be based on fact. It needs to be based on facts. Like the, the black boys getting arrested more than the white boys, that's a fact. Yeah. Um, mm. People with Afro hair being discriminated, that's a fact. Those are sorry to interrupt. Those are facts, and maybe um, Moses can touch a little bit more on that as well from his experience. But I wanted to say that this we know these facts and this data because we have collected it. So maybe that is one of the advantages of being able to you know tick the boxes of the right ethnicities that we belong to, because otherwise we wouldn't know how the population looks like. Mm. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, my, my take on this, right, because what it is, I don't like to often speak on what I'm not expert in um, because I'm not an expert in it, but I can always speak from my heart and always speak from my personal experiences. And I said, this, this subject is very sensitive um, for me because I've got, you know, I've got two young kids, a boy and a girl, right? And um, same background, whatever. But we live in a community where um, I'm... I'm learning to be a parent. No one can say they're expert at parenting. Do you know what I mean? But mm -hmm. we, we're all taking it day by day. And now me, that's experienced all of these things I've told you. And we all, you know, we're not gonna kind of get into racism conversations, but we know what we know what the world looks like. Now, when you're raising a bunch of innocent kids, do you then tell them the world is rubbish and people will judge you because of your surname now? And people will judge you because of the color. Now, both of them are two different complexions. My daughter is very, very, very light, and my son's very, very, very dark. Do I tell them you guys might get treated a bit differently, even to each other? Do you know what I mean? Do I tell them you might get you might get accepted in this group and you might not? 
you know what I mean? Do you, do you, like, there's an element of wanting to prepare them for what the world, you know, has, but then there's an element within myself where I want to create a better world and I say, you know, is there Michael Jackson? You know, change the man in the mirror, yeah? I don't know if that's a song or that's a quote, so I get that quote. <laughs> but then at the same time, I'm like, am I then spreading it? Am I now passing these stereotypes and this discrimination to the next generation? Is my daughter and my son's now going to like, marginalize themselves because their dad told them don't go over there because they're going to treat you different because they're going to treat you different <laughs> um so it is and i don't have an answer for that right now. i'm taking it day by day um i think i had one of the hardest news the other day of my daughter getting you know she's in she's in year six and they're kind of doing the whole bully stage and popularity stuff and whatnot and I'm sure at that age, it's a coincidence because of the, def the demographic backgrounds of the people that are not being nice to her. I'm sure it is definitely a coincidence. But in my heart, as a parent, you're like, what, basically, what I had to tell her was, well, go chill with those girls. So I won't take them out of your head. Do you get what I'm trying to say? And, you know, just give an example, the other friend, well, the other friends, whatever you want to, the other kids, you know, they were taking them out of her hair and calling her ugly. Now, when you hear hair and ugly, as a, as a someone that's, you know, as a black guy, you're thinking, it's because you're black. Do you know what I mean? But then you don't want to tell her, oh, it's because you're black. And you don't want to tell her, well, go chill with the black kids. Because again, that's embedding it from year six. And I'm not trying, I want to prepare her, but I'm not trying to like make her, because now she's going into the whole secondary school. I want her to be friends with whoever she wants to be friends with. And I hope black, white, Asian are going to be friends with her. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, you know, when you go to secondary school, you know, there's going to be some, you know, the other side I might not like your hair, so don't stay, you know? So it's a real hard one. Still don't have the answers for it. Um, I'm I'm old enough and I've been through it to know how it works. So I don't identify, I don't look at, you know, when people say, oh, I don't see colour. I used to think, oh, shit, how do you mean you don't see colour? I think in the field that I'm in, to be authentic to who I am, I'm not able, I can't see colour, otherwise I'm being biased into whatever I'm doing. If, if Lisa now asks me, can you feature on the project? I can't be like, well, I'm only going to help the black kids. Mm -hmm. Do you get what I'm trying to say? And, you know, Lisa's why I'm black. I'll go to you all day. You come to me all day. We're very different. I want my kids to have the same mentality with black, white, Asian and, and whatever. But then how do you then prepare them for stereotypes? You know, we don't have answers for these things. The world is just rubbish. And how do we make the next generation better without having our kids as the, I don't want to use the word guinea pigs, but well, go try and just, do you know what I mean? Just go try it and see if it works for you. If it don't, mm. oh yeah, you get bullied for another year. You, you don't get the job or da, 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 da. You know, it's just, it's not nice, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and responding your question to of how we uh, make this world better. I think that these sort of conversations are a first good step. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Uh, well, that does take me to ask you then, and it might be a little bit like an utopian and very optimistic to both of you, but then what does a community beyond ethnic bond looks like? Because currently even applying for funding or applying for projects or going there and going there, you have to be ticked the box of, are you a minority? Are you a person of color? Are you a woman? Are you this? Are you that? So what does that bond that we can create for the upcoming generation looks like? I'll start with Lisa this time, <laughs> let Moses digest everything. Yeah, thanks, you know what, Moses, thanks for sharing, sharing um, about your daughter and, and everything because yeah, it's real and it happens and it's, yeah, yeah, thanks for sharing that. 
Um, I think what does a community look like beyond this box ticking and beyond a lot of the ugly self out there, the, the ugly divisive stuff? I think it's about knowing who's real and who's not real. Um, we can all say, you know, we can all say we care about communities, um, like you saw with the Black Lives Matter um, um, last, was it last summer? Everyone was putting up black screens, but it's, it's not actually what you demonstrate, it's what you do, mm. it determines your community. Um, you can, we can all go out in the street and wave a banner and put up a screen, but what do you do behind the scenes? What do you do to bring people together? Can people trust you? Can people rely on you? I think a community is built on trust, respect, and it's earned. It's not, you're not going to be respected overnight. You're not going to be, um, uh, you know, you're not going to build a community overnight. It's not going to happen. You know, you get people coming in these groups, social, call them social do-gooders, parachuting in, let's build a community, you know. We know what to do. We can tell you how to do it. But, you know, real communities are built on trust. And trust is reliability. Trust is being there for each other in the good times, the bad times, when there's been difficulties, when there's, when there's sometimes you can't answer and you don't know what to say, but just actually being there for someone and say, let's, you know, share it. Let's have a conversation. How can I help you? So much stuff goes on behind the scenes with, with communities. You know, you have organisations calling themselves a family, but are they a family or is it just lip service? Are they, do they care about the people after five o'clock? Well, do what they care about a person in a crisis or do they, they just want glossy stuff to put in their impact reports? Communities are deeper than that and they're built on trust and respect and um, that takes time and mm. yeah, time, commitment and yeah, and loyalty. That's for me, that's, that's and regardless of what colour you are or from what background, if you're part of a community that's built on that, then you're part of a thriving community. Yeah, I think I think yeah, think I think it's good everything you said that I agree with as well, Lisa. Um, I just want to give another experience of um of something I experienced myself. I don't know if I told you that you know a couple of years ago I had a firefighter friend, um, that was um I don't want to say no branch and stuff. I don't want to get no one in trouble, but um I was I was thinking about being a firefighter because I really liked the guy and it was like yeah come let's do it whatnot. And they were doing this big recruitment right. And his partner and myself was, you know, he goes, yeah, go for it, blah, blah, blah. And during the application phase, I, did, I, did I feel like I had the physical elements and the mental resilience to be a firefighter? 100%. Do you know what I mean? Um, but I remember he was really, really strict in telling me that I should tick or I should say that um, I was part of the LGBTQ community because I would most probably very, very likely get the job. But if I don't, I would just be over here. Because at that time, that's the influx that they, were, they wanted. And obviously he told me this as public, you know, do you know what I mean? And, and I was like, I was like, so I didn't, obviously I didn't because I was like, well, I'm not like, do you know what I mean? But then I'm like, is, is that, you know, that, it brought me back to thinking, oh, I needed to change my surname to get a fund, funding application. But I'm like, this discrimination, this communities, it's, you know, like it's just, it's just, like, do you know what I mean? I'm just, but that is the world that we're living in. That you know, if I tick certain boxes, I'll get certain opportunities. You're not building an honest world. Do you know what I'm trying to say? You're not, mm. you know, you know what I mean. And I just thought, and I, I, I don't get me wrong, I was tempted, but part of the reason why I did, I was like, well, let's say I did get the job, do I then have to pretend I'm part of this community whilst I'm in employment? Do you know what I mean? And then how am I gonna look? But. Long story short, I applied. It was a strong application because he helped me do it. 
And they said no. And the people that got it were the people that ticked the boxes, including his partner, which ticked the... Do you know what I was like? Wow. Do you know what I mean? It's just a, it's a real quiz. And again, raising the next generation, do you teach them to tick the boxes? Because we know what box needs to be ticked. So do I tell them, look, guys, if you want that opportunity, don't, don't, don't be yourself. No, forget that. That's old school. What you need to do is you need to fit into this box, that box, and then you get the job. And that's proven and tested. That's what we all experience right now. That's why we're having this conversation. Being yourself is really, is, how far does that really get you? Do you know, unless you're part of, oh, let's not even go down that road. But yeah, do you know what I mean? It's just, it's just, you know. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's, um, it's, thank you, Moses, for sharing. That's got really interesting. And mm. I had that conversation with a couple of so friends as well about like, when we become boxes, then where does that leave us? And then who's the most vulnerable in ticking boxes? Then are they, are they most desirable? Or what does it see is that you don't see yourself as a talented person who should really get it, but then as, as all them boxes and they identify yourself as the boxes. Yeah. That is like the dark side of this uh, box ticking exercise, right? Um, hopefully with this podcast, <laughs> we're trying to make people reflect on that and think about also the positive things that could come from uh, improving this um, diversity monitoring forms. I loved, uh, Lisa, when you said before, because you spoke a little bit about the diversity of, um, of, of, pl of places like London and, um, and also of the working class community. And when... You were um, answering the question on how do we see communities that go beyond, you know, those uh, ethnic differences. I wanted also to ask you, um, shouldn't we be also celebrating that diversity, that those those differences with, between uh, within our communities? Absolutely, I think there's um, there needs to be that space. I think now. I have seen a big change, like with with I'm going back to funders and stuff because that's who I'm used to um, working with, and that's who actually is putting money into stuff to let local people uh, make them changes. You know, with with certain funds and stuff. I think actually people are looking at it differently now. They are celebrating more diversity now. I'd love them to get rid of this checklist box and just put a paragraph and tell us about yourself. Um, rather than this, but I think it's laziness. I think it's about collecting data. Um, uh, and it's quite lazy because um, it's so much easier to read a tick box than it is to read a 250 word uh, paragraph, right? Um, and, that, and that's easy and it's just around laziness. But actually, yeah, I think a lot, a lot has moved. I think that, that funders and people building communities are more progressive now. I think that they're thinking about lived experience a lot more. Um, yeah, it's about some, some of the funders and, and professionals to, to put their money where their mouth is, actually. Um, and yeah, I think that it's so important to, to build that diversity and for everybody. So if you're part of a community, um, it can be made up of uh, more than... Uh, like um, a, a lead ethnic race or whatever, but for everybody in that community to feel represented and to see something in the the, the outputs that the, the um, yeah, the community's outputs needs to speak to everyone. Um, and yeah, you might just have a few people from a Latino background, but let's celebrate that. 
you know, let's celebrate um, the Polish community, let's celebrate the African community, let's celebrate that. And communities go more further than race. I mean, you've got the disabled community, you've got the deaf community, you know, these communities are often talked about feeling overlooked and undervalued. You've got the carers communities, you know, you've got all of this, this rich, um, yeah, this rich uh, communities that can bring people together. And it's about, it's about that. It's about recognizing everyone and that everyone feels that when they're looking at something, this is for me, I can be involved. And that's how I believe that real community building um, needs to happen. I think we need some new communities as well. Yeah, <laughs> new ones, new ones, more the merrier, eh? <laughs> Also changing sort of like the definition of community, because a lot of people think that a community is when we're speaking about, you know, all these social programs that we're talking about right now uh, in this conversation. But people tend to forget that also we have our small communities, which are our families, our neighborhoods, our schools, the centers where we go and pray. Mm. Um, so those are also communities, making people understand that the, they are part of those communities as well. Mm. Um, how about you, Moses? What do you think in terms of uh, celebrating diversity? Hundred percent. I think I think it's great. Um, just to play devil's advocate, it's celebrating diversity is great. But at, at the same time, I feel like it highlights division. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I would like a way for everybody to. I don't want to say celebrate everybody because then it's counterproductive. But um, yeah, I, feel, I agree with what Lisa said as well. Um, I just I'm not I'm not here for division. I'm not here for any type of as someone that's been marginalized and you know been been you know stood out and it stood out either positively or negatively just standing out for me doesn't I'm just here for everyone do you know what I mean thank you so much and actually the last question I want to ask is that how you wish I know Lisa touched on it a little bit but how do you wish organizations or the censors or charities actually do with the monitoring and diversity form like what do you wish for them to change where you feel more represented or other marginalized communities feel represented I'll, with that one yeah so like i said i think with that i think the purpose of these boxes should be to have i don't know a big poster in the staff room to say oh we've got 10 white people five black people six asians whatever if it's just just to be like, oh look we're quite diverse or we're not that great I don't, I think people should be judged by their merit. Do you know what I mean? I don't want no one to employ me, give me money, you know, whatever, because I'm black. Like, do you know what I mean? Do it because I'm very skilled at what I do. Um, I want to win application, win bids, get the job, same with my kids. You know, I want us to get where we're getting by our merit, just because you think I'm good at it. Do you know what I mean? I don't really, the boxes should be there just, you know, Oh no, got five Asians. That's it. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's it. That's it, really. That's it for me. So I think that's what the whoever is in a position to make that change, I think that's what they need to do different. Mm. Thank you, Moses. What about yourself, Lisa? I don't know. I think scrap the boxes, but I know that they're not going to do that, right? <laughs> no, they're not, they're not. Scrap the boxes, but yeah, it's like what Moses said. Um, we want to be put through on our merit. We want to be put through 
Um, I don't want to be hired because that people need a working class, uh, you know, person on a panel or somebody that works, you know, I, I want to be hired because people see the value in what, what I do and they're employing me because I can do a good job. And I think that's that's really important too. Yeah, yeah, I'm not up for all this box ticking stuff. I, I know it's not going to go away. It's a great project you guys are doing. It's not going to go away. It will be there. But hopefully you can influence some change. And the senses will always be the senses because they've got those direct questions to ask. Maybe they will put um, uh, add a, a little another box where you can explain a bit more underneath. That would that would be really good. But I think when it comes to funders and government applications and stuff like that they could actually implement a lot more change and make it more inclusive and give people, you know, the space to, to write about themselves. Because we're like, I know I'm proud of my background. I'm really proud of my dad um, and my heritage. And I would love a sentence that I could write about that and, and honour that. Like I don't, didn't just come here as just me, Lisa. Yeah, I am a Cockney, you can hear the voice, right? <laughs> I'm also... Uh, uh, from my dad you know and I'd like to be able to explore that and to be not to be given opportunities because I'm ticking a mixed eastern European of a box right that's mm -hmm. and just want to be given opportunities on my merit like what Moses said definitely thank you thank you so much both Lisa and Moses and I hope this will actually be a start of conversation um, and I hope this can be an ongoing discussion where we have um, where we're not just like we both said we're not just boxes, but we're more than that. And we have all contributed so much to the communities and no community, no individual should feel marginalized or feel as the others. So I wanna say thank you so much, Lisa and Moses for joining us um, in this very interesting discussion about the intersection of class um, and ethnic identity. And thank you for all the insights and your sharing of your own lived experience. Thank you. Thank you guys. Nice thank you so much thank guys. You. Thank, you. thank you for having us. has been Other Checkbox, a 10-episode podcast exploring London's other ethnic identities. I'm Sandy Abdurrahman. And I'm Jessica Nanidao. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for a different episode each month.